0: We began last week, just as we're going to do every year, just kind of doing a bit of a recap around uh, what we're about here at Bay Vineyard and uh, what our kind of vision is. Um, and this morning I want to explore how we are a community of people orientated around his presence and around his purpose. And I want to look at the uh, the wonderful story that we are a part of here at Little Bay Vineyard, the, this, this church of ours that we're part of something that's beautiful and that's part of God's great story. A community of faith, hope and love that's part of a story filled with faith, hope and love. So to begin uh, this morning, I'd love just to work my way through the whole Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, open them on Genesis 1. And, uh, and, no, I just want to give a quick recap because because here, you know, as, a, as a, you know, I'm really serious. We're part of this incredible, I don't know how that got in there. Um, you can go to the next slide, Steve, that must be the Lord. Um uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's got ears to hear? Come on. Nice to see. Um, I want to I want to recap, and, and as quick as I can, the story that we're a part of, the story of the church. It uh, begins obviously in Genesis one, where God creates a perfect world to be a place where His presence dwells, to commune and have closeness with his creation, and He gave uh, these people His creation, the, the task of stewarding it and, and caring for it, uh, and uh, working in it. We might do a series, I think, on work and faith uh, later in the year about the intersection of how our just our day jobs uh, and our faith kind of uh, like why it's a big deal what we do throughout the week, Monday to Friday, and all that. Um, But but from work is not part of the fall. Work is like work and stewarding and and caring for creation, doing stuff was uh, part of of God's original design. So one day when the earth is renewed and restored, we will be doing stuff. Uh, which is quite cool. Anyway, to Lord, help me to not go down tangents. That wasn't God creates people. After the fall, God continues to pursue giving people the task of repairing the damage done in this massive rejection of God and his ways. Like God chooses people. So I'm going to still work with you to begin this whole redeeming, rescuing uh, job to, to, to bring restoration to the damage that have been done. People that would carry out the task of revealing God's nature and uh, and and carrying His presence and revealing the purpose of God—Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob—these are the these are our fathers. This is our genealogy. Like we tap into this story, uh, and as the story of the Bible unfolds, there's a people that emerges out of the promises made to Abraham in, in Genesis 12—a people that would carry His presence and would carry His purpose to be a blessing to the world and bring redemption. And so, the nation of Israel is formed. Uh, through the obedience of these, uh, these fathers of the faith. Uh, and then Moses comes and leads these people out of slavery in Egypt to be formed in the desert place, to be formed into a people of worship, to be formed into a people who carry his presence. Interesting that God does his deepest work in the desert place. Be encouraged if you feel like you're in a tricky spot. God does his deepest work of forming in the desert place. And so they build this tabernacle, a place where God's presence dwells. And the story keeps repeating. The people walk away from both his presence and their calling to partner with God and outwork his purposes of bringing healing to the world. Over and over and over again, the story repeats itself. And God keeps pursuing. God keeps pursuing. He sends prophets. He he puts in place kings. He does. He's just pursuing his people in love. And uh, eventually, through the consequences of their disobedience, they uh, they are they wind up in exile in Babylon for 70 years. There's just this giant time of silence in the, in the Old Testament where it's like what's going on and after this waiting there's this great crescendo of the scriptures and that God himself comes and inhabits creation the presence of God comes and John 1 verse 14 says that Jesus comes and tabernacles amongst us Like his presence, the temple has come in the flesh. The word of God made flesh in Jesus. You get the tingles on that. In the Gospels, we see with perfect clarity what God is like. His presence comes into the world and everywhere Jesus goes, he brings healing and grace and mercy and hope and restoration. And in the ultimate act of love, God and Jesus takes upon himself the sin of the world. And extends love and forgiveness like we explored uh, in uh, in communion earlier. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So this is presence. And then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the purpose. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, no, him who had no sin to be sinned for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we see Jesus, we see what God is like we see the lengths that God would go to to be reconciled to us. Jesus reveals the love of God, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. He, like when you start grasping this, there's a sense of like astonished gratitude that I think is at the very heart of the authentic Christian experience. Like, when you're moved to your core as you come up to the table, that is, I think, the essence of what following Jesus is all about, what Christianity is all about. Astonished gratitude at the lengths that God would go to and his love for us. N.T. Wright says this, Jesus in his amazing book, surprised by I hope that you should all have read by now. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonise earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. So this, this incredible plan through, weaves its way through all of the scriptures to rescue and redeem and restore creation has kicked off well and truly with Jesus rising from the dead and this inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. So subversive, so cool. And Jesus then commissions his disciples to go and wait to be clothed with power from on high. And he sets up this community called the church to be filled with his presence and carry out his purposes until he returns in glory. To bring the healing and the hope and the redeeming of the world until he returns. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit's poured out and the church is born. Uh, and it says this. "Well, oh, I haven't got the reference here. Do I have it up there? I'm not sure. As you come to him, the living stone. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5. Uh, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The little A there, because that's in the Bible, you'll notice, like these are where commentators are like, what's the best way to describe what's happening in the Greek here? They say another way of saying that is that you are being built into a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Spirit. Can you see like the the, the, the arc throughout all of the Bible as His presence comes And 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 it's like everywhere His presence comes, His purposes start to get fulfilled. And Jesus comes as the great crescendo of the Scriptures. And then... He's like, tag you in, church. You're to be my body, and you, uh, this little rinky church, you're called to be. Uh, you're called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are like we are the new tabernacle. This is where God's hot, the hot spot of God's presence would dwell amongst His people. And so, this is why, uh, as as we kind of continue exploring the vision of Bay Vineyard, it's important that we understand that we are part of this great story. this is our history. This is like the roots from which our little church here in the Hawke's Bay finds its its place. These are the roots, our roots. But this is why I'm a pastor. This is why you're in church today. Is there something in you that knows that you're part of this great story? That your life has greater meaning because you're part of this great story? To be a people that carry His presence and outwork His purposes into the world. I I came back from church last week um, and uh, tried to have a nap, but I was like zinging a bit, you know, because all the tribe got together and uh, and um, so I couldn't have a nap, which is really irritating because I was quite tired. And, uh, and then Jen had a nap. Did you actually sleep? No, you didn't either. You are singing as well. Uh, so, I take, so I'm just sitting outside after church last week and then I got really overwhelmed with the beauty of, the chur- of this church. And I was just like, man, why do I just love this thing so much? Drives me out about the wall sometimes, to be honest, but like, man, overall, the overall kind of vibe for me is like, man, I just love it. And I just began thinking of why it's so precious to me, and I hope it's precious to you. I began th- and it's uh, things like um, relationships. Like, I, I just sometimes I look around, and I'm like, I'm the richest man in the world with where it counts. Bible says that, that actually relationships are the most important thing. That loving God and loving others, like those relationships, are the, the absolute central thing to our life. When they're central, life is right. When they're not, then it gets really tricky real quick, chasing after all the other stuff. But, you know, and all of our mess and all of our weirdness, all of our brokenness, I'm like, I just look around sometimes and I'm like, this is awesome. This is, I, this is why I'm so pumped up about church camp, because it's extended time with you, with this motley crew. I'm like, I just love, I just love, the, you know, camp's the best. They're like heaven on earth. Because, like, we get to worship him like this. But then we don't have to rush off and pack down and do all this sort of stuff. We get to just hang out again a bit longer and push each other into the bushes and play silly games and have a dance party. And then we'll get together and we'll worship some more. And then we'll have another little dance party. And then we'll eat some food. And then, you know, and it just is so beautiful. Like, this is the richest. And it's not just through the good times as well. Those, the, the grief and the deep water that we have travelled through and will travel through together, through some of the pain, what a privilege that we get to fa- be family together through it all. And, and all, you know, at any moment in time, there's someone going through some really hard stuff in our church. We get to be there for them, and we get to love them and support them. I'm overwhelmed at times by the breathtaking selflessness of the church. And I was just calling to mind last Sunday people in this church who regularly open up their homes and say, come and live with us for a bit while we work through some stuff. It's happening all the time. Like, that's selfless. That's really (laughs) selfless. People that are so compassionate in the use of their time to hang out with folks that, that, and just love them and be patient with them. It's so stunning. It's the best of humanity because of what, you know, it's the best of Jesus expressed through humanity. It's just, it's stunning. I, I, I love the church because I'm like, as much as that we, you know, we wobble around a whole lot, like we make a difference. And, and, and there are people in the room who like, you've made a difference. You've helped me when it was tricky. You've helped me find Jesus. You've helped me grow. You've been there for other. And you know, actually, as I was sitting there last week, I also called to mind all the pain. You know, I've been a pastor 18 years. I say this almost every Sunday. Got a lot of road miles on me now, man. Grew up in a pastor's home. I've seen the worst that church can do to people. I've had some pretty, pretty interesting emails in my time um, from broken people and I've been really hurt. But I'm so glad that I've hung in there because probably the, um, the, the way that I've become more like Jesus is just by hanging in there. And by going, to, I want to I outwork the Sermon in the mount, on the Mount. I want to I live that. And that's real easy to do when everyone's like, you know, awesome and, you know. Um, but when it's tricky, can you bless still? Can you love still? Can you turn the other cheek? That's real tough. That's real tough. And also, I've hurt people. You know, and um, that's not a great feeling. I'm very human. My inadequacies as a leader sort of get more obvious to me as the years go on. And my arrogance, it's kind of a graph. My arrogance goes down. My awareness of my humanity goes up. and, And so I keep running boldly to that throne of grace. Asking that God would pour out His mercy upon me, and uh, in Romans it says this: says We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. That's so true. Like we need a church that can endure. We need a church that can go through tricky stuff and keep turning up and keep turning up. Like nothing produces endurance. Like I'm just going to. Endurance produces character. Oh yes, the fruit of the Spirit comes through as you go through that stuff, and character produces hope. You're like, oh my gosh, look what I'm turning into. Even through this tricky stuff, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Hallelujah, it's so worth it. Thank you, church. Thank you for how much pain you've caused me over the years because you have done something in my character. You've broken stuff in me that needed to be broken. You've caused me to run to Jesus when I should run to Jesus. And And there's been human reactions that I've had to bring to the cross. And and it's like, no, Lord, would you increase and would I decrease? Like, even through all the tricky stuff. um, The the, the reality is that the church isn't just some little organisation or a social club. This is a supernatural community. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27, we are the bride of Christ. That's huge. Like, that's how precious the church is to Jesus because of this great story that we're a part of, that we would be the people that, ca- that carry His presence and our workers' purposes. It's the bride of Christ. Like if someone comes up to me and says, Sam, you're awesome, but we don't like Jen, that's pretty offensive to Sam, FYI, okay? And how often do we do that with Jesus? We say, we like you, but we're not sure about your bride. The bride's tricky and all around. I get that. I really get that. But it's still His bride. It's still His precious bride. Jesus said that He would build it, um, he wants to keep it pure. The church is his holy people. It's his body. He's the head of the church. Hallelujah. Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her. What an amazing thing. And, uh, and uh, Philip Nancey says this in his, his book, which I love Philip Nietzsche, Church, why bother? Good, good book. <laughs> Well worth reading. He says, the church, Yes, the church fails on its mission to make serious blunders precisely because the church is compromised of human beings who will always always fall short of the glory of God. That is the risk that God took. And anyone who enters the church expecting perfection does not understand the nature of that risk or the nature of humanity. Just as every romantic uh, relationship eventually learns that marriage is the beginning, not the end, of the struggle to make love work, every Christian must learn that church is only the beginning. There's the, I remember... Um, uh, in our previous church, in Christchurch, we had this one Sunday um, where, where like, this altercation took place at the back of the church. And what was interesting is that people turn up to church thinking that everyone else is spiritually mature and really godly, right? And that, and that you're the broken one and that everyone else is kind of... And so you expect everyone to be perfect like Philip is was talking about. So what happened is these two guys uh, collided with each other because they'd both recently come out of prison. One of them, it was their first Sunday. One of them, it was their second. And the guy that was their second Sunday, they were passing around the offering and the guy that had been with us for two weeks passed it to the guy that had been with us on his first Sunday and gave a little look. So like, and the guy took such offense at him saying, you've got to put some money in there, and he just ooh, 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 you know? and he was, So then I have to go out to the foyer, and this guy's like having walls like, bro, you've got to sort your church out, man, they're putting pressure on me to come I'm like, who was it? That, guy was, that guy's been with him in two weeks. he just come out, out of his own lag. Like, seriously? You know? I like, We expect everyone else to be perfect and then we want everyone to have grace for us. We're just messy, flawed, vulnerable humans who will hurt each other, make mistakes, and yet somehow through it all, God does something stunning. It's treasure in jars of clay. He just keeps on picking the the least likely people, including this thing called the church, to be the agents of his presence and his purpose. So that's why uh, I love the church. Um, and, uh, and it's important that we're clear about what we're about here as the church community. And, and last week I talked about our three things that we're super focused on, which is that we want to be people of renewal that believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit in this region uh, and bring renewal. But He actually wants to begin by renewing us, bringing us to life. So we want to pray selfless prayers, but we also want to, you know, that God would pour our Spirit. But also we want to have a teachable spirit that God would form something in us. And so we're trying to be very clear about what discipleship means, what it means to be apprenticed to Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't say, believe in me, he said, follow me. What does it mean to, to learn the way of Jesus? And lastly, to be wholeness, to be compassionate in our time. But if I'm really honest, sometimes I get I feel a bit vulnerable because I'm like, are we being too strong you know, like last week, you know, I was all, you know, and then I got home and I was like, oh no, it was there a little too much, you know, and we're we'll trying to, you know, come on guys, let's really go for it. Sometimes I feel vulnerable because I'm like, are we pushing people too hard? You know, are we laying it on till we've been a bit too intense? You know, and um, and like everything in me wants it to be easy. I want the church to be easy. I want leaving the church to be easy. I want it easy to be part of the church. But to be honest, following Jesus isn't that easy. Particularly in this crazy world in which we live. There's so much that is forming you that is not Jesus. Yeah. Like, we're just bombed with all sorts of stuff. We swim in this. And we can't, we can't even see it. We're so used to it. And we can just, and so like all of our behaviors have been so conditioned and been so normalized that actually I think we have to take a radical relook at what Jesus is all about and how He lived and what He taught and just go, if I'm serious about following Him, then it's going to be quite jarring at times as I reorientate not just my beliefs, but my lifestyle around the way of Jesus. And uh, and throughout history, it's been inspiring because there have been times where the church has risen up and done this well. And one of those times was... um, when it was uh, through a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a, uh, who was an amazing theologian and pastor in Germany uh, and uh, throughout the, uh, the events of World War 2 and tragically what happened in Germany with the church is that they they kind of succumbed to um, the national fervor that was going on in Germany and the church, for the most part, sold out, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not. He did not sell out. Now, the, it's interesting looking at the parallels to the church today in terms of the rise of nationalism, not just in the States, but all around the world. And the church kind of uh, has to be very careful not to repeat the mistakes that the German church made. So there's a different situation. I'm not talking about Hitler or anything like that. It's like, but there's, there's these forces at work. To to move the church from being this potent countercultural kingdom, uh, place of God's kingdom, to kind of get sucked in to the to the power of the land at the time, of the rest of it. And so, uh, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer started this um, uh, this countercultural community in this place called Finkenwald. Um, and, and they they kind of started out this rebel church called the Confessing Church, and uh, with the purpose to become salt and light again. And uh, and he he just went hard out. Was like, Let's live a community together, uh, and let's learn to, to be genuine, deep, rich, authentic community. And let's learn the way of Jesus, and let's reject what's happening in our country. And uh, and friends of his would read his books that he'd written in this time, uh, and they were they had this, they just kind of thought, man, a little bit too hard out, Dietrich. A little bit too hard out, bro like what you're doing in that little community. Very intense formation, man. You need to dial it down. One of his mates turned up uh, to to kind of look at what was happening in this little community. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, heard his concerns about how intense they were around discipleship and all that and and living together in community and learning the way of Jesus and rejecting what was happening in Germany. Uh, and And he said, come with me. And they went and walked up a hill. And on one side of the hill was their little house. Uh, and on the other side of the hill was a German Air Force Base. And the German Air Force Base, when you look down, you could see the discipline and you can see the culture that was taking place within the German army. Very intentional, very clear about its purposes, and very, very focused on what they were doing. Organised. And then you had this little house of, of this community, this church, Rebel Alliance, the Confessing Church, that were radically counter what was going on in the church there. And he said these huge words to his mate. He said, he said this. He says, this needs to be greater than that. Amen. But this culture in the church needs to be greater than that culture here. Amen. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's seminary was small and its season, short, and the Gestapo closed the seminary in 1937, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was ultimately martyred. In many ways, it was a feeble joke compared with the power of the Third Reich. But it was the prophetic seed of a faithful church. And over time, as Jesus promised, that seed grew and grew and bore fruit. And today, the Reich is a shameful memory. Hitler is in the grave and the German church is repentant. But the fruit of Finkenwald, the community, the vision and that work has gone on to shape a vision of Christian discipleship that has inspired millions of people. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what God does? Like Barry said this word last week. It's this little seed, and so, so what we have, what we're doing in here, actually it has to be clearer, and it has to be be this sense it needs to be greater than what's happening in the forces out there. There, there needs to be clarity around what we're about. To and, and so, I want to invite you as you begin this year to commit in your heart. To see this church flourish, to be like, this needs to be stronger than that. We need to be really committed to this. And, And not to be passive, but to be active in the culture of this church that you would be passionate about renewal, discipleship and wholeness, that you would pray selfless prayers, have a teachable spirit to grow in learning the way of Jesus, and to be compassionate increasingly with how you use your time to bless those that are less fortunate than us. And 1 Colossians 28, Paul says, He is the one that we proclaim, admonishing. That means in the Greek, advising or urging someone earnestly and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's something for Paul that was burning in his bones. Now, now let me just make sure we're really clear about what we're saying here. We are not talking about salvation. You can become a Christian and you can cruise all your life and you're still a Christian. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's His grace. It's His mercy. It's not what we do. But the Bible invites us to a journey of sanctification of being transformed from glory to glory to become more like Jesus. And when we choose to be transformed by glory to glory to become more like Jesus, we discover more and more of the life of Jesus. So often, I think many Christians find themselves living in an Easter Saturday space where they've encountered the forgiveness and the mercy of God and the cross of Christ, but they have not yet walked into the Easter Sunday new life that comes when you choose to radically follow the way of Jesus, when you reorientate your entire life and lifestyle around the way of Jesus. Like that's where the life is. That's where the life is. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the resurrection life. And I can speak with a little twinkle in my eye on this one because I'm like, as I've contended to Sabbath in my life and as I've built the devotional life, particularly those two practices, there's been life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace has increasingly become my experienced reality rather than just some sort of theological hope. Experienced reality. And, for the, and man, we are just on the earlier stages of that journey. But man, if he continues this, it takes, it takes way too long, which is annoying. I wish it would happen overnight. I really do. I wish Rachel Hunter was wrong. I wish it would <laughs> happen overnight. But it does happen. He does over the years as we faithful to him, as we oh, So, I would invite you to come and uh, commit to, um, to, to giving your energy and passion to creating a culture here It's passionate and it's clear. And we're here for renewal, discipleship and wholeness in others. uh, I just want to speak as I come into land on a couple... uh, Yeah, okay, just quickly. Some of you have gone through tough times in the church or in life recently. And can I say in the midst of my rant this morning that you are also completely free just to sit and to be and let us minister to you and love you and ignore me when I talk about serving, ignore me when I talk about giving, ignore me when I talk about just about anything and just let God minister to you with love. You are free just to sit. If you're tired, uh, you know, um, then, then just be pleased. There's no... Uh, now, many of us find ourselves in that space either, again, because of church history experience where it's been tough or because of life experiences recently where it's been tough. Um, But I I, I want to to say that, but I also want to say that if you're not in that space, I want to invite you to commit to Seamus Church Flourish Practically, (laughs) get on the team and serve. It's not like just a hardcore few that should be on a team that serve. We are a family, we are the body of Christ, we're a family, we're not like some business. And so this place works because everyone does a little bit. I've told stories before about flats I've been in where one or two people did all the dishes and the other guys didn't do any dishes. And resentment starts to build over time. That's not a healthy flat culture, am I correct? Right? We all got to chip in and make the place work? Okay, we're a, we're a big flat. And we all do our little bit. And, um, and so let's, let's really push against the consumerism that says I'm here to, to just to enjoy the thing. Um, the Holy Spirit will lead us to commitment that bring life to us. Like the only way to become servant-hearted like Jesus is servant-hearted is to actually just do servant-hearted things. Yeah. You choose, it, okay, Jesus, that's what you did. I oh, want to be a servant-hearted person. I want to live a life that's there to bless others. We also live in this crazy commitment phobia culture. And can I invite you that, that we, this has to be stronger than that. We're saying, here we commit. We're committed to seeing this place flourish and grow. Uh, It's really interesting in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles the kind of what goes on, because if you look at this on 1 Chronicles 24 leading up, so 1 Chronicles uh, uh, 5 is when the glory of God comes. Can you go to that slide, Steve, with all the scriptures on it? It's very busy. you have seized thousands of them. here we go. go. So you'll be able to see really clearly, uh, this is so. 2 Chronicles 5 uh, the glory of God fills the temple but in 1 Chronicles 24 onwards, it's just rosters. Get your head around that. It's in the Bible. It's just roster after roster. This is just a snippet, because I couldn't fit any more in, of the rosters that are in 1 Chronicles 24. And so there's I get very frustrated with people that just want to flow with the Holy Spirit, thinking that anything organized isn't the Holy Spirit. In Genesis one, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the chaos, and out of that chaos and disorder, the Spirit brought structure and order and systems, and therefore life. And so the only way a family works well is when there's some rosters. And so if you are part of this church, you should be on a roster. Come on, June. Come on, give it to me. (laughs) Preach it, brother. I need some sort of amen. She's looking very happy. Very happy. I made June Rooney's week, haven't I? Come on, June. All right. I I do finish with this. Get on a roster. And lastly, here we go. Let's just finish with this. There's three elements that give culture health. And this must be stronger than that. But it's very interesting. This wonderful New Zealand pastor called Nigel Dixon wrote a fantastic book called Village Without Walls. And he contends that there's three things that need to happen within a culture for it to be healthy. Steve, there's a lot of slides here. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to check with me. Firstly, for a culture to be healthy, it needs a big story. So what's the story that I'm a part of? It needs to have real community, and it needs to have authentic spirituality. And what's interesting as you track this, which he did in his book, Village Without Walls, uh, over the years, we see that in the pre-modern time, and there's still many cultures like this in the world today, uh, they have a very clear big story. So they have a genealogy, they have stories that are part of, that, that they learn that they're part of, so they are anchored within this greater story, whether you believe the story or not, whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter. They have these stories that anchor them. They uh, live in a very intentional, rich community, and they have an authentic spirituality that's connected as part of, of their cultural makeup. Uh, and so uh, as you kind of work your way through to the uh, modern period of time, what happened was that people had a big story. So it was like the Enlightenment or the Industrial Age or were part of, uh, of this great revolution in the world to, uh, to see technology kind of come the rest of it. Uh, But then community kind of shrunk down to basically the nuclear family and authentic spirituality was really removed because it became cultural. You go to church on a Sunday and that was about it, but it did not impact your, uh, your whole life. And now if you look at the postmodern era in which you live, there's no big story. People are like, you know, your truth is what you man, what do you mean? Like no one has a big story that anchors them. Uh, the family's been shot to pieces, and authentic spirituality has completely disappeared, and our culture is suffering because of it. And so, uh, in the and postmodern story, they reckon that 80% of kids that are growing up at the moment in childcare. Uh, and so within this, uh, we see, next slide, that, that as a church, we are the people who can bring health. If this is strong, then we can bring health and life to the, to the world around us, because we are part of a big story, hallelujah, and it's important we know that we are part of that big story. That's the big story that we, we orientate our lives around. We're part of a, of a rich community. And, uh, and can I encourage you to make it richer by going over and having a chat with someone, making some friends, inviting people into your home. Don't wait for community to happen to you. Make community happen around you. Just start like, I, I want to create, this this is a crowd on Sunday, but, uh, uh, but, but this crowd is meant to be a tribe gathered of lots of little different communities love one another, know one another, care for one another and we are building an authentic uh, spirituality that impacts all of our life and brings life having rich devotional lives, having an understanding around uh, again just with our our work and life and all that's orientated around the beautiful person Jesus Christ and so we are a community of faith, hope and love we have hope, we have love, we have faith Uh, and and I finish with this, the story ends, we know how the story ends One day he will return in glory. One day he will return in glory. And he will bring the work to completion, the Bible says. He'll bring the work to completion. Until that day, we earnestly long for it, but we also seek to bring that future reality into the present. We seek to to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would it come? But one day he will return in glory. Lord, come. (laughs) Lord, come. Lord, you come. And the world will be the way it's meant to be. Hallelujah. And the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And the world, Ah, oh, the, the Bible has such a rich picture. And it's like mark from Genesis 1, Revelation 21, 22. Instead of a garden, it's now a beautiful city. And that city comes and the earth is renewing the storm. Until that day, we want to be a faithful community who are committed to, uh, to, to seeing God's presence come and to fulfil his purposes in this place. Amen.